Last week, uh, we began a brand new series on the family called My Crazy Family. And no, it is not completely autobiographical, uh, but I think we can all relate. We've all seen the crazy families around us. We see the craziness. We see the, how hectic life is. We see how stressed most parents are and how, uh, how we just run ourselves ragged as families. And we look at things and there's, there's arguing and fighting and families breaking apart. And we're just like, this is, this is crazy. The families around us are crazy, and and what we said is, hey, look, as Christians, we can do one of two things. We can try to do all the same things that everybody else is doing, and maybe sprinkle in a little God here and there, and hope that we get different results. But we all know that when you do the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, that that is the definition of insanity. That is the definition of crazy. And so we said, if we're going to be a Christian family, if we're going to have Christian homes, if we're going to have God-honoring homes, what we have to do is we have to do something different. And the thing that's different that the world's not trying is to allow God to be the one to build their family, to take the principles of scripture that God has laid out for the family and to say, this is how we're going to live. This is how we're going to organize and structure and run our family. It's not going to be perfect. Our kids are still going to fight. Spouses are still going to disappoint and frustrate us, but, but this is how we're going to run our family. And so we said Psalm 127 says this, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. And vain is another word for futility or insanity, right? It's just crazy to try to build a house if God is not the one building it. And so we're going to look into God's word. Last week, we looked a little bit about marriage and what God's word says about that and the importance of that, especially for parenting. Um, And this week, we're going to look at discipline. Now, there's something interesting about discipline. Uh, it's, it's something that I know some people really struggle with. And for some of you, you have good reasons for struggling with discipline. And it's because I, I think for some, perhaps you were never disciplined as a child. You may have grown up in that period where you had hippie parents and they're like, oh, just go do what you want, you know. And like, oh, we're not going to discipline you and, and, you know, just be free. And as you grew up, you made lots of mistakes that could have been corrected, maybe if parents had disciplined you when you were a little bit smaller. And others of you, um, it's not quite the same. Perhaps you come from an abusive background. Uh, and so you really struggle with disciplining your children because, uh, because there was discipline, but it wasn't done in a godly God-honoring way. And so I want to I encourage you this morning um, that we're going to look at discipline um, not as a way of punishment, but out of loving relationship because we do love our children. And here's one of the things that I, I hope everyone will take away from this series is that parents are the primary disciplers of their children. Parents are the primary disciplers of your children. God has entrusted these children to you, and it's your job to raise them up and to train them up and show them what it means to trust and follow Jesus, Right? That's what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is someone who trusts and follows Jesus. So as parents, it's our job to lead our children towards that. We can't drive them towards that. We have to lead them towards that. Um, And the interesting thing to me about discipline is that it has the same root as discipleship, right? Discipleship, discipline. And we know that discipleship takes discipline, even for yourself. As you grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ, it takes discipline. It takes discipline to be in prayer regularly. It takes discipline to be in the Bible. It takes discipline to get to church by 10.02 instead of 10.15, right? You've got to set an alarm. You've got you to get up and have breakfast. These things take discipline. 
Um, there's a quote by Chip Ingram. He says, the goal of biblical discipline is discipleship. That is our goal, that we would show our kids what God's word says is right and what God's word says is wrong. That is why we discipline them, so that they would grow in their knowledge and understanding of these things. Um, I want us to understand that when we discipline our children, the purpose is not to break or crush the spirit of the child. It's not to shame our children into obedience. It is to lovingly teach them what is right and good and to lead them to a Savior who can rescue them from their sin. As parents, we have to see these moments of correction as opportunities to disciple our children and to teach them what God's ways are. Okay? With that in mind, I want to take us to our key verse this morning for, from Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. It says, Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his discipline, for the Lord discipline the one he loves, just as a father the son he delights in. Okay? So the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father the son he delights in. We know that for parents, um, the reality is that if we love our kids, we will discipline them, right? Because it can save their lives. It can save them from a lot of pain. I know I've shared this story before when we talk about parenting and discipline, but um, for those of you who don't know, we have seven-year-old triplets, and then we have uh, another little girl who will be four in September. And I can remember when we first moved to Georgetown, we lived at the corner of two very busy streets. And a lot of times what we would do is we would pull the van at the end of the driveway and kind of block the end of the driveway and let the kids play in the driveway. We were playing with a ball one day, and the ball went out into the street in front of the van. And the kids, being less than two, I think they were, yeah, they are still less than two, um, and just took off after the ball, not thinking anything of it. I mean, they're, they're little kids. They just see the ball, they're going after it. What they didn't know is that coming from this direction was a car, uh, a car driving down our street. We live right by the stop sign, but they weren't slowing down, and they were running in front of the van. So there's no way they would have seen the car, and there's no way the car would have seen them. And, of course, being dad, thankfully, I saw it, and I just yelled, stop! And three, I mean, it was like, stop, turn and look at dad, and see what's going on. If I had had to count to three, I hate to think of what would have happened that day. If I had had to say one, two, two and a half, two and three quarters... Two and fifteen sixteenths, and, you know, gone through all my ratchet sets. Those kids would not be here today. But because we started while they were young, and here's what we say in our house. Mommy and Daddy expect you to obey the first time with a happy heart. Okay? And the reason we expect you to obey the first time with a happy heart is because that's what God expects from you as you get older. God expects you to obey the first time with a happy heart. And so for us... The heart attitude is just as important as the obedience the first time, right? So if you go clean your room, we say go clean your room, and you, Rod, um, our wooden spoon, uh, Rod is short for rod of instruction, uh, Rod will have a a sit-down with you, and you will not sit down for a week, Uh, no. Um, But we had instilled this in them. That when mom, and dad stop, when mom and dad speak, when we say no, when we say stop, it means you stop immediately, you turn and you look. Obey the first time with a happy heart, and it saved their lives. And we know as they get older, there are other lessons that they're learning now as young kids that we know are going to save them from a lot of pain 
as they get older. Uh, in our elder board meeting this last week, Judge Gravel was in there. He said, uh, I think it was one of the others, elders reminded us that um, Judge, Judge has often said, if you don't discipline your children, um, someday I'll have to, right? Um, so we want to discipline our kids, not to punish them, but because we love them and we want what's best for them. And I want us to understand um, that there's no one-size-fits-all approach to parenting, that Today we're going to look at some principles and try to understand why and how we discipline, but there's no one-size-fits-all. So I'm not going to tell you you have to discipline this way or you should discipline this way. That's for every family to understand uh, and to figure out for themselves. But I, I want us to, to, especially as we think about discipline as discipleship, we have to wrestle through this tension of, of being too strict or being too passive. Um, and we want to make sure that we don't fall into either one of those categories because that doesn't honor God, and it's not going to help our children be pointed in the right direction. So uh, with that in mind, I want us to move forward and think about what is the basis? What is the basis of our discipline? Why do we discipline them? And the basis of our discipline is that we want our children to honor authority. We want our children to honor authority. We want them to grow up honoring the authorities in their lives. And this is what I tell our kids all the time. If you don't learn to obey me, whom you can see, and if necessary, feel, right? Uh, In a disciplined sense, you can feel. How will you ever learn to obey an invisible God? If you can't learn to obey me, the primary authority in your life, the one that you can see and feel, how will you ever learn to obey the ultimate authority in your life? And so the, the purpose of our instruction, the purpose of our discipline is to help them understand that they have to honor authority. I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Paul writes this, Children, obey your parents as to the Lord, because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Now, Paul is quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting from the Ten Commandments. So we know that this idea of honoring authority, especially your father and mother, this isn't just some traditional value. This isn't just some old school, old fashioned thing that, that we're to, that some people think is a good thing. This is a core biblical truth, a core biblical value that parent, that children would obey their parents. And what this teaches, it, it kind of goes against our, our cultural beliefs. You see, a lot of people in our culture think that honor for the parents is only given when the parents have earned it, right? As a parent, you have to earn the honor from your children, or if it feels right. When it feels right, you honor your parents, or if the parents reciprocate honor. But here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that there are some positions that just deserve respect and honor. And because of that, God has given certain positions certain authority. And because of that, they deserve honor and respect. And as a parent, because God has made you the authority in that child's life, you are deserving of the honor and respect. And when it says honor your father and mother, what it means is to hold them as weighty, right? Some of us, after having kids, we get a little bit weightier than others, but uh, hold us as weighty. That means hold us in high value, that we would honor, that we would respect our parents, And this is not something that changes over time. In fact, we know that even as we get older, while we don't have to obey our parents after we've moved out of the house, we should still honor them. In fact, in 1 Timothy 5, Paul says that it's our responsibility to take care of our aging parents. 
It's our responsibility to take care of our aging parents. And he says, anyone who doesn't take, uh, take care of their own parents is worse than an unbeliever. Worse for you than an unbeliever if you're not taking care of your aging parents. But the idea is that we would honor our parents. And so to do that, we have to create a culture of respect and authority in a home. Children should obey their parents. They should speak respectfully to you. They should treat you as weighty, as one who's revered. Um, it's our job to continue to teach them this respect as they enter, especially, especially as they enter into their teen years, right? That's the time when they start to become a little bit independent, but it's more important, it's as important in those times that we continue to teach them, hey, you're growing up, you're becoming an adult, you're allowed to make some decisions for yourself, but you still have to honor and obey me as your mom, as your dad, right? You still have to honor and obey me. And one of the things that I think um, is, is helpful, you know, for parents who are struggling with this is to just continue to remind your kids that, hey, I, I, I'm asking you to honor and obey me because someday you're going to have to learn to honor and obey God. And that's my greatest desire for you is that you would learn to honor and obey him. And if that doesn't work, you just, sh- before they go to bed, as you're laying them down, you quote Proverbs thirty seventeen, okay? It says, the eye, as for the eye that ridicules the father and despises the mother's obedience, may it be plucked out by the raven of the valley and eaten by the vultures. <laughs> Nighty night. <laughs> Sweet dreams, right? So you just have them memorize verses like that and, and they get the picture real quick. No, so how do, we, how do we do this as parents? Number one, I think as parents, we have to create a culture of honor for authority in our lives. And, and uh, I, I, I have a list of verses um, that we're just going to go through real quickly. I, I want to put that first one up. And I, I want you to think about how do you speak about the authority figures in your life? How do you speak about the different authority figures in your life? These are just some different verses. It says, this is Paul writing, he says, Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do evil. Let's look at the next one. Um, keep going. Next verse. Next verse. It says, Everyone must submit to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. Next verse. We have this. It says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities to obey and to be ready for every good work. And lastly, we have Jesus' own words when he's speaking to Pilate. And Pilate says, don't you realize I have the authority to set you free or put you to death? Jesus says, you wouldn't have any authority if it weren't given to you by my Father. If it weren't given you to you from heaven above. And so what we need to recognize is whether we agree or disagree with who's in office, uh, our job is to give them the, the respect that their position uh, is entitled to. And so how we speak about people in, in different offices, around our children, around other people, um, is a great way to, to establish that authority. We don't have to agree with them. We don't even have to like the way that they say it or the way that they um, conduct themselves. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility that we would hold that position of authority, recognizing that God has put them there for a reason. I would also encourage you to do some reading of of Scripture. There's a lot, and and they use um, terms like slave and masters, but that can easily be applied to your boss. How do you talk about your boss? Do you give him the authority? Because God is very clear that he's your boss because God has 
has ordained that he would be your boss, right? God has ordained that. How do you speak when the police officer comes over and says, um, do you know why I pulled you over? First of all, play dumb, right? You don't want to admit to anything. Uh, Why don't you tell me why you pulled me over? No, but do you speak to that officer with respect? Do you teach your children to respect those who have been given positions of authority, including yourself? How are you modeling that for your children? We want to create uh, an honor for authority, okay? Um, we realize that as, as parents, we're going to be imperfect. And so if they can learn to obey imperfect parents, then they can certainly learn to obey and honor a perfect heavenly father. All right, so how do we do this? I want us to look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, and in, in verses 5 and 6, Paul quotes, uh, the writer of Hebrews quotes from from Proverbs chapter 3, the one, the one that we just read. And then he goes and he says this. He says, Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that the father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had natural fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Did you catch that? We respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields uh, fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So here's what I want us to understand from these verses, is that the context for our discipline is a loving relationship. Did you catch that? Paul, the, the writer of Hebrews says that God disciplines those that he loves. Same thing that the writer of Proverbs says, that God disciplines those he loves. He, he disciplines us because he loves us, because he wants what's best for us. Um, when God disciplines us, it's not the same way as as oftentimes in our court systems, we think of a judge would discipline us. Right? Oftentimes, the judge disciplines for punishment. As parents, we're disciplining for, for another reason, not, not because they've broken the law, not to punish them, but as loving parents who want to see our children grow in maturity and ultimately know with God that that is his desire. Because here's the reality. We're talking about discipline of our children this morning, but I hope that you don't miss the reality that God loves you and at times is disciplining you and that his purpose in disciplining you is to bring you to maturity, that you could share in his holiness, that you could become more like him. He's shaping your character in the same way that he desires for us as parents to discipline our children to shape their character. Um, a lot of times parents think that it's, it's more loving to just let their kids do what they want, but we know that this isn't the case. Uh, God disciplines those he loves. It's at the heart of godly discipline, and it encompasses all we do in discipleship. It encompasses all we do in discipleship, and I I love the stories that I'm hearing about the discipleship that's taking place here at River Rock Bible Church, and how how it, it looks when someone comes to someone that they're discipling and says, hey, I see this in your life, and and this needs to change because it's not honoring to God, and the way that men and women are responding to those in their lives who are offering that correction to them. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing because you guys don't get to see it every week and hear all the stories that I get to hear about people who are, 
are experiencing the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ because people love them enough to show them that what they're doing is wrong and that it needs to change. And as parents, that is one of our greatest joys. When we get to see our kids growing in maturity, when we get to see their life changing uh, because they are growing in their knowledge and understanding of who God is and who he has created them to be. Verses 7 through 9 tell us that discipline is necessary for us to trust and follow Jesus. In fact, verse 9 directly connects a parent's uh, intentional loving discipline with the respect of the child. Did you catch that? The writer of Hebrews says, hey, our fathers disciplined us and we respected them for it. We respected them for it. Even when it's imperfect, consistent instruction creates healthy boundaries, an environment in which children feel safe. Um, John MacArthur says this, he says, even when they are growing up, children instinctively know that a parent who disciplines fairly is a parent who loves and cares. There are a number of studies that show that one of the things kids do, you ever feel like your kids are testing the boundaries? Anybody ever felt like that? They're doing that for a reason. They want to know what what are the parameters? How far can I go? Because there's something about safety. When they butt up against a boundary, and they know, okay, I can't go past this, they begin to feel safe. There's a a lot of uh, psychologists who've studied this in children, and the reality is that kids who have boundaries and limitations put on them by their parents have healthier mindsets and healthier attitudes. I don't have time to go into all of it, but um, this is a good thing that God desires for us. So the context of our discipline is a loving relationship, a loving relationship, and I would encourage you to build that relationship Uh, You need to be holding your kids. You need to be loving on them regularly so that your only interaction with them is not when they've messed up, right? We build that relationship. So what then is the goal? The goal of our discipline is holiness. Holiness. God's purpose for discipline in our lives is our own holiness. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. It says, For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Um, Parents have the beautiful privilege of partnering with God to work to cultivate holy living in their children through discipline. It is our privilege. We get to partner with God to show them, hey, here's what happened, here's what you did, but here's what God's word has to say about it, and here's how we're going to help you correct that. Too often, I think parents, when we think about discipline, we think about the immediate result, right? We just want our kids to to shut up sometimes. We just want them to obey. We just want them to stop talking back. And so we discipline out of frustration, out of anger, out of tiredness, because this is the 12th time today we've told them to stop jumping on the bed. Yet we have to understand that God has a different reason. God's desire is not just to change our behavior, but to change our heart. He wants us to have the right heart attitudes. So when we parent, a lot of times what we do is we bribe them into obedience, we discipline out of anger and and create fear and resentment, and we have to be focused more on the heart attitude that's causing the undesired behavior than the the behavior itself. Um, I I just want to share with you a little bit about how this works in our family. 
as I've said before, that we expect our children to obey the first time with a happy heart. And so I just want to give you an example of what that might look like when they disobey or when they have uh, a heart that is not in the right place when it comes towards their feeling towards mom and dad. And typically what happens is they disobey or they haven't done what they've been asked to do or they have a bad attitude about it. First thing we do is we send them to their room. We say, go to your room, and mommy and daddy, if we're both home, we go to our room. We create distance, okay? We let, let it calm down because I can tell you, how many of you like being disrespected? Anybody? Good. Nobody raised their hand, right? We get angry when we get disrespected, don't we? We get frustrated, right? Makes you want to hit somebody. That is not the time to discipline your kids. You give them a couple minutes, you count to 10, you say, Lord, give me wisdom. God, help me calm down. And when you're calm, you go into the room and you sit down with them. This is what we do. Usually I have them sit on my lap. The first question that I ask is, what did you do? What did you do? Notice, that's different than why did you You see the difference? Okay? Because here's the reality. I'm 36 years old, and I still don't even know why I always do what I do. Right? The three-year-old is not going to be able to say why they hit. They have a hard time putting that into words. But if you say, what did you do? And they say, well, I hit my brother. I hit my sister. I talked back to mommy and daddy. Okay. What happens when you, and then they fill in the consequence for us, Let's say it was disrespect to mommy and daddy. And I know this is controversial, but in our house, there's certain things that we spank for. Uh, We spank. We use different methods at different times, but we spank. Um, And so for us, if it was that I disobeyed mommy and daddy, what happens when you disobey mommy and daddy? I get a spanking. Okay, why are you getting a spanking? Because I disobeyed mommy and daddy. You're connecting the behavior and the heart attitude with the consequence. Do you see that? And then, usually we carry out the sentence, the spanking, And here's something, if you choose to spank, let me give you this encouragement. Do not use your hand. We use a wooden spoon because we want our children to trust our hand. Anytime our hand goes towards them, we don't want them to be afraid, right? We use some other instrument. Just make sure that it's appropriate and that it's not going to do... You want it to sting, but you don't want it to leave a mark, right? Uh, So we want them to trust our touch. We want them to know that we love them. We want them to fear the rod of instruction, not us, okay? So we use the spoon, we give them the the little spanking, they're crying, we're holding them, and we we ask them one more time, so why did you get a spanking? Sometimes they'll say, because I didn't clean my room. No, that's not why you got a spanking. Why Why didn't you get a spanking? Because I disobeyed mommy by not cleaning my room. That's right. The important thing is that you you recognize that it was disobeying mommy, not that you didn't clean your room. Do you see the difference there? So we walk them through that, we hold them, and we tell them we love you. Your mommy and daddy love you, and you are a good boy. You are a good girl. And because I love you, I discipline you. And then we just say, why don't you sit in your room for a little bit? When you're ready to come out, you can come out. And we go through the rest of the day, and we don't bring it up again. We don't remind them over and over again, hey, remember I had to spank you. No, you can't have a snack because I had to spank you. Now, if we start to see them do something... Again, then we'll say, hey, what happened last time you did that? Oh, yeah, I got a spanking. Okay, maybe we don't do that this time. So here's why we walk through this process with our children. Number one, first thing they do is they acknowledge that they've messed up, and they have to acknowledge their sin. 
The second thing they do is that they acknowledge that there are consequences for their sin. Thirdly, they acknowledge that once that consequence has, has been met out, it's paid for, it's done with, it's not brought up again. The same way that God does with us through his son, Jesus Christ. God's desire is that we would, number one, recognize that we are sinners and that our sin has consequences, number two, and number three, that that consequence has been paid for. And Scripture says that when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, when we acknowledge that we're sinners, and we trust that Jesus Christ has paid the full penalty for our sins, and we trust in that, that it's washed away. God doesn't keep bringing it up. And if you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling with with guilt over a sin, that it just keeps coming to your mind and you can't let it go, I can tell you that's not from the Lord. It's from the enemy, okay? So we model the gospel even in the way that we discipline our children. It may be a little different in your household, but I encourage you to think through what is the process that we go through. Um, one of the verses that we had our kids memorize early on is Proverbs 12.1. Proverbs 12.1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but one who hates correction is... All right, how many of you guys like being corrected? Anybody? Nobody. But how many of you can appreciate the value of receiving correction? Okay? It's not that we want our kids to, to, oh, great, I get a spanking, I get to learn, or I get to be sent to my room for the next week. No, that's not what we're looking for. But we want to help them understand, hey, do you, do you see why we're going through this process? Do you see why it's important that you learn this? We want them to, to value that instruction. Last thing is this. What's the challenge? The challenge in our discipline is the harvest. The harvest. Look at verse 11. The writer of Hebrews says this. He says, No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The fruit of peace and righteousness. It takes a long time. From the time that that farmer plants the seed, it takes a long time before he sees the fruit. It takes a long time before he sees the fruit. And so I want to encourage you as parents that you're not going to see results immediately. But don't give up. Don't give up. You're, it, it may take years. It may take five years. It may take ten years. It may take into their 30s before you begin to see the fruit coming out of their lives. But I want to encourage you to endure to walk through it, to be faithful and God-honoring in the way that you discipline your children. And I want to speak to all the adults in the room. As, as you go through God's loving discipline of you, don't get frustrated. If he has to discipline you over and over and over again for the same things, you keep making the same mistakes. It's easy to feel like, well, I just keep making the same mistakes and, and I, I just can't get past this. Understand that when you experience God's discipline, maybe even for the same mistake over and over again, that if you will be trained by it, if you'll be trained by it, you'll learn a little bit. You'll learn how to walk away from those things. That in the end, it'll bring the fruit of peace and righteousness into your life. How many of you guys like dates? Anybody like dates? Not going on them, but eating them. Um, a couple years ago, my wife and I did this thing called Whole30. It's a diet where you can't eat anything um, <laughs> for 30 days. And um, so we went through that. And one of the few things that we could eat, I have a sweet tooth, and one of the few things that we could eat that was sweet were dates. 
And I'd never had a date. To me, it just looked like a giant raisin and was not that appetizing. But I realized that I love dates. Um, and in fact, our, our ushers have some. I'm just going to pass these around. Um, feel free to take a date. These are pitted dates, so you don't have to worry about spitting the seed out. Um, but here's the thing about dates. From the time the seed is planted until the time the farmer can actually start to see fruit, it takes about eight years. And from reading this week, what I found is that by the, uh, the length of time that it takes to actually produce a harvest that they can benefit from, it takes close to 20 years. 20 years after planting, watering, fertilizing, pruning, caring for that tree before they get to taste the fruit. Now taste the fruit. Taste, taste the date. It's sweet, isn't it? I remember when we were taking whole, we were doing the whole 30, we had the ones that had the pit in it. I was like, man, I'm going to take this and plant this, and I'm going to have my own dates. I'm not going to pay $5.99 for dates anymore. My wife's like, yeah, it takes 20 years before you have dates. I was like, I'll keep buying the dates. <laughs> How sweet is the harvest when we faithfully, lovingly discipline our children according to God's word. And we think about the day that we get to see the harvest. So I want to encourage you today as we leave. Think about God's harvest in your life. And how sweet and loving his discipline for us is. That it's not to punish us, but it comes from a place of love. And I want to encourage you, we may have some dates left over. Take some home with your kids. Go to HEB and buy some dates. Sit down and enjoy, especially in the summertime, enjoy the sweet fruit. And be reminded of the sweetness, the sweetness of the harvest when it comes. It's not going to be immediate. It's going to take years, maybe even decades. But how sweet will that fruit be when it finally comes? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your loving discipline in our lives. Um, Lord, we thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for us and that you love us enough to discipline us in times when we don't walk according to your word. Lord, not as punishment, but as an opportunity for us to learn what is right and what is wrong, because we, we know and we trust that you have our best interest in mind, and that if you say no to something, it's because it can cause us harm, and if you say yes to something, it's because it's meant for our joy. Lord, help us as parents to be faithful in disciplining our children. Help us to demonstrate your love for them, even in the way that we discipline them, We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.